0: Right, this is unusual. I don't know where we're going, Uh, but go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. Let's just have you open your Bibles there as we kind of take a detour as we await Advent to kind of answer some whys and what fors with things in the church. Today, we're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to ask why pray. How we pray? We're going to answer that, hopefully. So, as you weigh, make your way to Matthew 6, <coughs> I'm going to pause and pray. <coughs> Father God, you are worthy to be praised. You are far more wonderful and holy than we can comprehend. So the ability, the invitation, the command to approach your throne of grace is astonishing. So your people come to you now in a time of need. We need to know, and we need to grow in Christ-likeness, because that's your will. And that is the way to abide with you and to reveal yourself to others around us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use that hour, this hour, to do that that you'd be gracious to us in that, that you'd be merciful to us as we still battle the flesh and don't deserve to be named as your people, but we praise you in Jesus for making us your people. This Lord, cause us now to be stirred, to be moved to a place of understanding about your heart, for us, your thoughts towards us, your desire to dwell with us, which has everything to do with your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness, and nothing to do with our beauty or worth. So we praise you for dispensing such things on us, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are here this morning, and so I guarantee that even before this morning, you've heard people pray, or you have prayed. In fact, I would hope that would be the case. And you and I can both think of times and people that have prayed and prayers that we've heard that have been so amazing to us. And we can think of people that, when they pray, seem to call down fire from heaven. And that's glorious to us. It's great. And we are think of how awesome that is. But I think there's more to the story than what we hear on the surface. And from what Jesus says here at the beginning of Matthew 6, we do need to come to understand that God is not as interested as what, in what you do in public for prayer, but what you do in private in prayer. Do you seek the Lord? Or are you more concerned with gathering for yourself praise from men and accolades as being known as somebody who's holy? Do you fear God or do you fear man? And that will be exemplified in how you pray. So at the beginning of Matthew 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before their people in order to be seen by them the lifeblood of the Christian life and our intimacy and communication with God is fleshed out in prayer. Prayer is communication with God, addressing Him directly. You can read Romans eight fifteen and 26 through 27. We know that through Jesus we have this access to God as Father. Father, not just some distant deity, but actually Father. And in our communication, we address him through praise and thanksgiving and supplication, which means to beg humbly, intercession, which means to intercede on someone's behalf or to pray on someone's behalf, confession, and even lament. Read the Psalms. There's constant crying before the Lord. There's constant crying in understanding that the Lord answers such cries for his people. He loves his people. He cares for his people. He wants to hear all these things from his people. If you began your Christian life not knowing how to pray, uh, you're in good company. And if you began your Christian life with an understanding that your prayers had to be really guarded and really careful, Um, you're also in good company, but I want to change that by simply asking you to read what the Psalms tell you about prayer. Listen to how those people pray. Especially read what's called imprecatory Psalms or calling for judgment through prayer on certain things. David is unashamed before God in prayer. That leads David to be honest in confession. That leads David uh, to be honest in what he hopes the Lord will destroy. That leads David to be honest in what he is asking from for the Lord. That leads David into an intimacy and a, and a, a love for God and from God that none of his contemporaries knew or came close to. If, if God knows all things, and if God sees all things, and if God knows the inward heart, and if God knows the words that are going to come out before they even touch our lips, then why are we uh, guarded in prayer before Him? So when you think about prayer, I want to answer, why? <laughs> why? Why would we pray? If that's the type of God that we have that knows all things, knows what we need before we ask Him, we get that that, towards the end of chapter 6, why would we even do this? Why would we be honest with Him in prayer? Why would we speak to Him in such ways? Well, it's really simple. Uh, Number one, it's His purpose from the beginning to dwell and commune with His creation. I mean, that's obvious. He's walking with Adam in the cool of the day. That's what we're supposed to know about his desires for why he created. He wants them to know him, which is amazing in and of itself. And also, we pray in these ways because of who he is and who we are. If you are intimately aware with who you are as a human, a sinful, weak human, don't mean to be a downer, but that's just reality. And if you're aware of who God is sovereign, powerful, all knowing, righteous, holy to a degree of perfection then that also would be why we'd need to pray. We're commanded to pray. You're commanded to recognize simply this that you are in need of God to help bless, keep, sustain, protect, and grow you. If you pray, not only as a public exercise of holiness, but if you pray as a a private communion with God, you understand that. You understand you have need. We don't like to proclaim that a lot. We don't like to say that a lot. We don't like to acknowledge that a lot. But you do. There's no two ways about it. So, if you, if you want to be motivated to pray more, just meditate on who God is and who you are. You'll get there. But he commands it. If you look at Ephesians 6.18, uh, this is after we've put on uh, right the uh, the armor of God. And, and then he says, to end all of that, praying at all times in the Spirit. This is what you're supposed to do after you are... Uh, put on the helmet of salvation and all that sort of stuff. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you think that God wastes words? Notice he says, praying at all times. I don't know why it's not showing. There it is. Praying at all times. A lot of times you and I think there's only certain times for prayer, right? Uh, Before we go to bed, maybe when you wake up in the morning, certainly when you gather with the church or before you do something for or with the church. No, those are obvious times, maybe. But what about all times? And we're going to look at Jesus' life in a minute because he's going to be our example on what prayer is and how we do it. But notice how he prays all the time. He's communing with the Father on the cross. He's communing with the Father as he's being nailed to it. He's communing with the Father just like he is picking up where he left off in conversation when he's blessing food. He's praying at all times and about everything. He's, we're, we're commanded to do so, which communicates to us that we have need all the time in the spirit to ask or even beg of God to do something. Praying for everybody in that. Philippians 4.6, this is a big one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2.1 First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, thanksgivings be made for all people. So it's assumed that at all times, In all circumstances, for all people, we pray. Everyone is on the same level. We have need. We have need of God. Especially if there's to be anything good. Otherwise, we'll just remain enemies and do the things that we're capable of doing, which is evil, sinful things. We declare through prayer that we have need of God. You know what the Pharisees' problem was, and what Jesus pointed out here at the beginning of chapter 6 in Matthew? Is that they weren't concerned about their spiritual, heartfelt needs. They were concerned to be seen. And they weren't concerned about the things of God, in essence. And so there's no communion with God, there's no intimacy with God. There's an outward righteousness that does nothing to glorify God or to be known by Him in their lives. And Jesus preaches against that consistently. And so we look at Matthew chapter 6 for Jesus to declare and to display to us why we pray. So he says in verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. A couple chapters later in Matthew 9, 38, Jesus says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have this example, this declaration from Jesus of how we are to pray, how we are to posture ourselves before the Father. We we could pick apart this prayer, uh, this Lord's Prayer, as certainly you have heard done before, but we're not going to do that This morning we're simply going to look at the the gist or the heart of what he's saying here. He's saying that your father wants to hear from you in private. He wants to have a conversation with you. Not with everyone around you at the same time. He wants to hear from you. It's almost like having a, a private phone call. He doesn't want you to put it on speakerphone. He wants you to call up to his ear. Because he wants to give you his ear. And he wants you to recognize who you are before him. Therefore, he wants to display to you how he is your good father. He wants to communicate an intimacy directly and personally to you. Which is really absurd to the Jews of Jesus' day. Because God is like Father of Israel. And they see that as an overarching kind of corporate thing. But Jesus is bringing it down to that personal level. No, you go away and pray. That's what Jesus does. Mark one thirty-five. rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus wasn't showing off. Jesus was communing with his Father. In Luke 6.12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. <laughs> in other words, Jesus loves his Father more than sleep. You you see the the comparison there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is going to be crucified and he tells his disciples, the three intimate ones, hey, wait here, I'm going to go in and pray. Watch, and I'm going to go in and pray. What do they do? They fall asleep. Three times they fall asleep. The last time he comes out and he says, hey, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know what Jesus is modeling there? As a man, I need the Father to remain steadfast in His will. And if you don't depend on Him in that way, you will fall prey to temptation. Temptation, namely, to not do His will. Temptation to take the easy way out. Temptation to give in to the flesh when the flesh is weak. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then we see in John 17, all of John 17, Jesus praying as he's going to make his way to the cross before the Father. And in that instance, he is letting people in on the intimacy that he has with the Father. And you can read that and pick that apart and understand that Jesus is about the glory of God. He is sure in hope and faith on what the Father has promised him. And he is praying for the people that are with him, that God would also sustain them. You see all of those elements in his prayer. Jesus prays in praise and in thanks and in need, always according to the will of God. This is how he does it. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So you have Jesus there being honest with God. Um, I don't, this is, this is a terrifying reality that I'm getting to experience. But guess what? You're good. Uh, you're the Father. Whatever you will, that's what I'll do. He's honest with him. But he is submitting To the will of God. That's where we are, right? If if you're honest with God in prayer, you can say, Lord, I don't want to have to say this to that person. I don't want to have to give this. I don't want to have to do that. But what you will. Lord, let it be done. You see that from the one who was to carry Jesus in her womb, right? The angel speaks to her says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And she says, let it be done to me. Prayer postures you in a submission to God. If you don't submit to God, then you won't pray. That's pretty simple. Because he won't be able to provide for you. You'll provide for yourself. And guess what? He is still Jesus is still praying for us. In Romans 8:34, who's to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Charles Spurgeon says, "God the Holy Ghost writes our prayers, God the Son presents our prayers, and God the Father accepts our prayers and the whole Trinity to help us in it. What? cannot prayer performed. We're praying because God will be glorified. Because God will hear the cries of his people. He's promised that throughout the scriptures. God will answer and rescue. God will be a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow. He will be there. And when you pray, you are giving your own faith the opportunity to grow by presenting that opportunity before the Father. <laughs> you, you know, we're, we're even told in the scriptures, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't cite this one, but um, we pray in order that God may get the thanks. That's why corporate prayer is important. So we'll switch gears here a little bit. We we pray in private; that's most important. But we pray corporately because then God is glorified in our midst and receives the thanks for what's happening in our midst. If you came to prayer meeting, you'd see that. You would see that there are prayers being offered up to God on behalf of so many and on behalf of each other. And then when God answers, your your faith, the fires of your faith are stoked. Deepened, And not only do you have the promises of Scripture to rely on first and foremost, but when God answers prayer according to His will in a way that brings Him glory, in a way that brings you good, uh, you have that to fall back on too. You will not be able to say, and the Spirit will remind you in this, that has God left you? But he's proven what he said in the scriptures, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Because when he's answered prayers, he has proven that. And he's answered prayers according to his will, not yours. So every single prayer that you've prayed, he's answered. Um, How do we pray? That's a question a lot of people always have. How do we pray? Well, again, I'll harp on this until the, until the day I'm gone. Um, the Psalms will help you pray. They'll give you language. They'll give you examples. They'll give you honesty. Look to them. We just read Psalm 30 this morning. What was that? That was a prayer. Anytime you see in the Psalms, oh, God. You know what that is? That is a desperate longing and calling, a a, a reaching for and a grabbing of the ear of the Lord for someone or something. Because that person in faith knows that only God can do this. Spurgeon again, the goal of prayer is the ear of God. How do you meet that goal? How do you make sure that you grab the ear of God? 1 John 5, 14-15. This is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that what we, we have the request that we have asked of Him. <laughs> so there's a guarantee. You pray according to the will of God, and you will have an answer in the affirmative according to his will. <clears throat> more questions, though. What's his will? Right? What's his will? Well, we, we, we studied this. First Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and it carries on into more and more stuff. But the, the, the just there is the will of God is your holiness. So when you pray... Pray in light of that, that God is wanting to make you holy. He is growing you in Christ's likeness. Jesus is holy. And so when you pray, especially for yourself, that's what you're seeking. If you're seeking that, Lord, you are gracious. I want to be gracious like you. Lord, Lord, you are kind and patient. I want to be kind and patient like you. Lord, you are generous. I wish I had a generous spirit like you. Guess what? I guarantee you he'll answer that. Either by giving you opportunity or by stirring those things up in you through looking at Jesus who is those things. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 and you see that you are faltering in one of those things, ask the Lord, to grow that in you, and he will. He will. That's his will. Now, there are also specific things about his will that we don't know. Who he wants you to marry, where he wants you to work, how many kids he wants you to have. That's not in the scriptures. Right? So he has to direct that. But, but here's how you pray for those things. Lord, what is your will there? That's, that's pretty simple. What's your will for the size of my family? What's your will for the person i marry? married? What's your will for my work that glorifies you? If that's what you're really asking for, that's what he'll do. That's a guarantee. Now, we feel, hopefully, our weakness when we pray. We don't feel adequate in our words. We don't feel adequate in expressing what's going on with us. We don't feel um, worthy to speak to God. We don't, you know, all that stuff wells up in us. Guess what? Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If the Spirit lives in you because of Christ who saved you, Then when you pray and you bumble and you fumble, but if you're crying, even if you are just saying, Lord, help, I don't know what you want here. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you will do. But Lord, please help. Please come. Please, uh, please deliver. Please bring yourself glory. Please bring us good. Please, Lord, do these things. You know what's happening when that's happening? The spirit is interceding according to the will of God. So he is praying, knowing what the will of the Lord is. He's interceding on your behalf. He's speaking to the father on your behalf and getting that prayer in the format that it needs to be in. That is not an excuse for you to be lazy in prayer. That's a comfort to you when you're struggling in prayer. I don't know what to say. I don't, I'm dumbfounded by this situation. Lord, you don't have words sometimes. And searching the Psalms may not even give you the words. But guess what? The Spirit will give words according to the will of God. And you know what happens to all those prayers? They are stored up in what Revelation calls these golden bowls of incense. You know what that means? They're a precious aroma to the Lord. He loves them. He treasures them. Any of you diffuse essential oils in your house? Had some going the other day. And and it, it should remind you that that aroma that you want your house filled up with is what the Lord's house is filled up with. And you know what happens when those bowls are full? The Lord is going to answer all of those by pouring out wrath over all of the enemies and all of the troubles and all of the things that pained his people. He is gathering the prayers of the saints, the cries of the saints, and someday when those are full, he is going to finish evil once for all, which is why a lot of times we pray is in direct relation to the evil that has happened within us and outside of us. And the Lord's going to answer those at one point in time. All. What about when you don't feel like praying? Uh, Do it anyway. I was listening to a Navy SEAL this week, and, you know, Navy SEALs, people always like to talk to them about, and when do I get up in the morning? Right, or when do I work out? Or, you know, I was trying to get these guys to tell them how to live their life. And this one guy said, when the alarm clock goes off at 5 or whatever in the morning and I don't feel like getting up, I get up anyway. When that workout comes that day, that workout time, and I, and I need to do my exercise, and I don't feel like it. Well, I do. I do it anyway. In, in other words, <coughs> his response to the things that needed to be done was to do them despite how he was feeling. So when you don't feel like praying, do it. Speak. Cry. Intercede. Lament. I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this in your own life, that when things are going well, we deceive ourselves and think that we have no need. That's why Christianity in America is so tough. Because we have all these needs met, but we think then we think we don't need God. Um, we are not what we think we are. The school of suffering is also akin to the school of prayer. The the famous quote of Spurgeon is, I've learned to kiss the waves that push me against the rock. He knows what suffering taught him, taught him to pray. You know, I, I know how to do certain things to my car because it breaks down and I've had to fix it. Well, I pray because my life breaks down, and I need God to fix it. If we didn't suffer, if we didn't experience pain and sorrow here, we wouldn't be very good at praying. I would even say we wouldn't even really pray that often. But because we live life here, God is teaching us how much we need Him. So that ultimately, we know how we get into His presence forever. Because we need Him to bring us there. We can't climb up that high. We can't work up to such a holiness. So it requires that the Lord... So we ask Him. And if you don't know Him, you know what you can do? You can pray and ask that He would reveal Himself to you. You can pray and you can acknowledge that you don't deserve Him or to know Him. But if He would have mercy on you, you may know Him. In other words, I'll leave you with this. The great and awesome privilege of our lives is a holy, personal, and intimate communication with the God of the universe who desires such a relationship with you even though you don't deserve it. So take advantage of it. (laughs) Get to know him through prayer. Watch him work. Move, act, and give him the glory and the thanks, and let your faith be deepened. So um, before we stand and sing together, why don't you take that time and pray to him. Ask him, thank him, praise him for whatever. Cry to him for whatever. This is why we have this reflection at the end to allow for that, that you directly can respond to him. So do that now.